As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. I'm starting the message from the back today. I have a special message. I just want everybody to see it. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Here you go. You've seen this guy in the street corner, haven't you? I just want to make sure we're all going to get the message today. So I made this sign for us. And so, you know, I just want to make it extremely clear. If there's anybody in the balcony, and especially for you watching online, don't go to the kitchen. Don't leave, the, leave for anything. We've got a special message. Starting a new series today. Can you guess what it's about? Anybody? No, don't hold that thought. We're actually starting a new series, and it's on prayer. And the series is entitled, Dear Lord. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn to several prayers, one prayer each week for the next five weeks, including today, for a total of six prayers. Today, we're starting with one of my favorite prayers, one of the ones that's needed most often, And it's from Jonah. And it's a prayer of repentance. Hence, that's why I'm holding this sign. Is it all coming together for you? Aren't you glad you came to church? We're going to talk about something that isn't talked about enough. And I made this sign because I don't want you to miss it. And so I want you to understand that I want to give us Several reasons from this prayer why this is so critical, why this is so important, while this, why this is the starting blocks for all of us that continues throughout our walk with God. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Go ahead and grab your um, phone or your iPad or whatever you're using. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Craig to come here and hold the sign because while I read, I I don't want anybody to forget what the message is about. And so let's stand together for the reading God's word. Good idea? And so Craig, just hold it high just in case. We don't want anybody to miss this. Jonah chapter 2. Let me begin in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of a fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Give me an amen if you believe God hears prayer. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, all your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Underline holy temple. We're going to come back to that. It's really important. And the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. There it is again. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast life. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jodah out upon the dry land. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that it contains. I thank you for this true story of a man who needed to turn to you, and you met him. Lord, we need to turn to you. Help us to look to this prayer. Help us to learn from this prayer. Help us to apply this prayer and to not just study prayer, but to actually pray, to learn to pray more. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. Amen. You may be seated. First reason why we need to do this. If you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. Repent, because God hears our cries. He hears us. And that's what we see overwhelmingly. We see that here in the text. I mean, God hears this. And he hears our cries. And that's what's going on in the prayer with Jonah. And so look with me at the first couple sayings here, because I think they're extremely important. And the first thing Jonah says, sometimes the little things we need to pay specific and close attention. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. It doesn't say he prayed to the Lord, a God. It doesn't say he prayed to the Lord, your God or your God, but his God. Do you see the personal pronoun, the ownership? He believed in God. Hey, make no mistake. We all can have all kinds of different prayers as things are going on. But this wasn't a prayer where he was bargaining with God. Hey, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. No, this prayer is grounded in his confidence, his assurance, his belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he believed God. And so my question to you as we start a series on prayer, do you believe God? Have you called out to him? This is ground zero right here, that we would be a church that's praying for ourselves and for others. But then where is he? He's in the belly of a whale. It says it right in the text, and it describes it as the belly of Sheol. Now that's an interesting phrase. If we double click on this Uh, Hebrew word, Sheol, it literally means, and it's translated in other places, pit and grave. And so he's like at the bottom of the bottom, at the worst of the worst. It literally means the abode of the dead. Now it's different from some of the other words you'll see in the Bible to describe H-E double hockey sticks. Jesus uses a couple words, Hades he uses. And he uses some words to describe What happens after judgment, this Sheol, it's a bit different. You can parse it a different because this is what it looks like as we await judgment, the pit of Sheol. This is at the worst of the worst. This is you're waiting your conviction that, that that's what Jonah is doing, is he's in the belly of a whale waiting for judgment. Ron, do you really believe he was in a whale? Yes, I do. 
because I take the Bible literally and I believe in miracles. I, I, I do. And I, I don't know about you, but I do. And it may not be as crazy as it sounds because there was a guy in the late 1800s and the story says that he was off the South he was Atlantic and he was in a whale for 15 hours. Now, some people, you look that up on the internet, they debunk it. I don't know if it's true or not, but how about this example? Let me show you the picture of this guy off the coast of Cape Cod. He's a lobster diver. This happened a couple years ago, and he was in the mouth of a whale. I mean, and he survived. You say, I don't know if I can believe that. Hey, I don't know if I can believe those two stories either, but you know what I believe? I believe Jonah was in the belly of a whale. Anybody with me? I mean, I believe it. And I don't even think that that's the greatest miracle. That's not the greatest miracle in this short story. I think the bigger miracle, the harder one to believe, the harder one to wrap your head around is that it says at the end of chapter three and the end of chapter four that God, he saved Nineveh, this city of over 120,000 people. And what those 120,000 people did is they repented, they turned from their sin, and they followed after God. Now, I know about you, but I would find it harder to believe that the entire city of Chicago would do this. That's what it's saying. I would find it hard to believe that the entire city of New York City would do this but that's what's being described. Hey, I gotta just be honest, I don't even know if the entire city of Naperville would do this. Certainly not Wheaton. <laughs> I mean, that's the greater miracle. It, it's, it's crazy that it says that over 120,000 people turned from their sin and repented. All right, Craig, we're going to put Pastor Craig to work because I know he's got a lot of emails and a lot of follow-up with some people in the church, and they're here at the 11 o'clock service, and you had a pastoral call or, a, or something you had to discuss with them, and I know this is the real message you want to say to them. So just walk around, and if you see somebody, and there's a follow-up call, you know, this section, I would start over here, and then just, just, just kind of, you know, you just kind of, you know, yep, he, he needs it a little bit, she needs it, and then you don't have to call them. It, it, you, don't, you don't have to follow up. They got the message this morning. So thanks, Pastor Craig. Let's give him a round of applause. He's a good man. And so Craig's literally doing it. <laughs> All right, listen. Why is it, though? Why is it that Jonah ends up in the place that he is? That's the real question. That, that's the one that we need to really answer. And the best way to do it is in the context. And so look with me at verse 1. It's all about disobedience. And verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God wanted him to arise and go to Nineveh. So that was the city that God was going to work in. That's what he wanted to do, to go confront the people but then look at verse three. But Jonah rose and went to, you tell me, nice and loud. Very good, Tarshish. Just wanted to see how you pronounced it so I could get it right. But Tarshish, this place, like, so God said, go here, and he went there. It was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. 
It's like me saying, I'm going to New York City and getting on a plane at O'Hare and ending up in LA. I mean, it, it's the opposite direction. But then there's this phrase, let's draw attention. We're a Bible church. Thought I'd get a little amen for that. We want to study God's word. And look what it says at the end of verse three, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. There it is. That phrase, presence of the Lord, you'll see it three times in chapter one because the writer, he doesn't want you to miss it. Jonah's fleeing from God. Hey, I wonder if you ever thought about it this way. Do you know some people, and instead of running to something, they're running away from something? Do you know what I'm saying? They're not running to something, to a vision, to a new destination, to a job, to a a relationship. They're running away. And so they're running away from responsibility. They're running away from hard times. They're running away from difficulty. They're running away, trying to run away from the circumstance. They're running away from authority. Let me say it again, responsibility, and they're heading in a different direction. That's Jonah. He's running from what God wants him to do. So note takers, please, write down Tarshish, and that's the place that he ran to, but for our purposes, he was running from there. He was running from God. So Tarshish is what we run away from. Nineveh is what we're to run to. Are you getting the difference? Nineveh is what we're to run to and to embrace and to go forward. It's God's will. It's God's way. It's God, God wants. It's God's desire. And, and we have a tendency, all of us, to run in the opposite direction. Hey, all honesty, as Craig comes forward with that sign, all honesty, have you ever been in the pit of Sheol? I mean, have you? I mean, where it's just like you, you got no hope and, 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 and you're in rebellion, you did some things and, and the relationship is over, the, the, the hope is gone. I, I mean, have you been in that place? I, I remember when I was in that place. And I mean, many instances but one specifically was when I wasn't even a Christian. And some of you know our story. I have written about it. Jody and I, she was divorcing me, and, and I was looking at this apartment, and it was right near O'Hare Airport. And this apartment, it was like I'm, you know, I'm right near O'Hare because I was flying out, and I was in the business world then and just flying all over the place. I thought, I'll just go near the airport. And the realtor's showing me this apartment, and Literally, I'm, I'm starting to think about what I'm doing. And I'm thinking about myself in this little dumpy little place. I'm like, is this what I wanted? This is the decision that I made, the sinfulness I was involved in. It landed me here. This is what I wanted? This is better? And I'm telling you, man, I, I'm not kidding. Tears are in my eyes. And the realtor looks at me. And she says, she totally misread it. And she looks at me and she says, oh, she said, you know, if you don't like this place, I can find you another. I I wasn't crying over the apartment. I I was crying over my life. 
And, and God used that circumstance, and, and, and this is what you want. Now, let me ask you again, have you ever been in the pit of Sheol? I mean, that's what he's talking about. It's the place where you're just thinking and, and recognizing and realizing. And I don't think the whale is a place of judgment. I think it's better to think of it as a place of grace. That this is God's grace. He's giving him a lifeline. He's giving him an opportunity. God provided the whale as, as he was thrown overboard. So if you look at the story and you look at chapter one, it says literally that the people on the boat threw him over because there was this storm that came as a result of Jonah being on this ship headed to the wrong place. And then there's this, the waves are coming. And so it says that the guys pick him up and Jonah's okay with it. He's like, throw me in. And they throw him in. That leads me to my second reason why we need to do this. Second reason is this, repent. God knows our hearts. He, he knows your heart. He understands what's going on. And so they threw him in, but then look with me at what it says in verse three. Jonah in his prayer, and this is, we're learning about prayer, for you cast me into the deep. Are you seeing the problem? Chapter one, verse 15 says, they picked him up and threw him in. These guys, verse three, Jonah's like, no, you did, God. See, what Jonah's recognizing is he's understanding that the responsibility is his and he's recognizing the discipline of the Lord. There's a topic we don't talk about in church enough. And so God's using these people. And sometimes we think it's all about how that person hurt me or what they did or what they said or that situation. And God's using it. It wasn't about the people that threw him overboard. Like God did. He was embracing, fully embracing the discipline of the Lord. What's the discipline of the Lord all about? I'm glad you asked. Keep your finger in Jonah chapter 2 and then flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And so if we're going to talk about prayer, we want to understand the discipline of the Lord. Because some of us are praying and I just want to tweak, adjust your prayer because you, you may not be praying exactly for the right thing or the right circumstance. Because there's trials of consequence that are brought on by our own actions, and then there's trials of circumstance. And understanding the difference between those two can change how we pray so that we do what that sign says. And so I was just talking that whole time to get you to Hebrews chapter 12. Did you find your way there? Look with me at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father and the spirits and live? Answer, yes. 
For they, the earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his, you tell me, his holiness. So God's gonna use being thrown overboard for Jonah to become more like him, to understand, to grow. And so that trial that you're going through, whether it's a trial of circumstance or consequence, consequence is a result of your own actions, that God wants to use it to produce fruit in you. That's why it says in verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than present. True or false? True. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so we look at what we've been through. Some of us have been through a lot. And, and, and God used it for good. That disappointment, that failure, that difficulty, that broken relationship, that sin. Like you're a better person as a result of embracing the discipline of the Lord. Now there's four quick ways to respond to the discipline of the Lord. I said we don't talk about it enough in church, so let me not fail to do what I want and talk about it enough so we understand it. The four responses are this. We'll go through these quickly. We can ignore it. That's not good. It only gets worse. We can do this. We can despise it. And that's not good either. It only gets worse. Third thing, we can reject it. And that's not good. Why? Because it, it only gets worse. Jonah didn't do any of those three things. I mean, he fully embraced the discipline of the Lord because, remember, he was going to the place God didn't want him to go. He was doing what God did not want. He was running away from God. Nineveh was the place to run to. He was running to the opposite place, Tarshish, the place to run from. So what did he do? Last thing, he submitted to it. Now do we have a better grasp on him? I mean, that's the prayer. He's just submitting to the discipline of the Lord, and he's in the abode of death. And God has provided him with a lifeline. And, and this is him and God's grace that he's going to pull the ripcord. I love how some others have talked about the discipline of the Lord. Jerry Bridges, phenomenal author. He said the purpose of God's discipline is not to punish us, but transform us. And so what you're going through, that hard trial, that difficulty, that it was a result of your sinfulness and stupidity, God wants to use it, not to punish, but to transform. How about this? I love what Billy Graham said. God does not discipline us to subdue us, to hold us down, and to drown us. No, he doesn't do that, but to condition us for a life of usefulness and blessedness. Usefulness. Hey, we're doing something today, and after the service, uh, once we get out of here, they've got all these, you know, we're doing Serve Connect. And so Serve Connect is your opportunity to get involved in ministry and for you to help here use your gifts to advance the kingdom in the local church. But some of us, we've been, for lack of a better word, prostituting our gifts for ourselves building our kingdom. Isn't this a great message? And we're using it to build up ourselves and what we want and our desires and not God's kingdom. 
And so what we're doing is there's going to be a host of ministry leaders and, and hey, some of us need to repent of just not being involved and, and not using our gifts to grow God's kingdom. And, and we need to say, how could I be used in this season, in this next ministry year to grow God's kingdom? Craig told me to do an advertisement for um, getting people involved. I'm not sure that did it. This is called guilt tripping. I'm kind of kidding. But isn't it true that, I mean, that's the greater calling. And so Jonah was being called to do something for the Lord that he didn't want to do. And I would suggest that some of us, we've been called to do some things and we're ignoring it too. How do I know? First-hand experience. <laughs> so what do we do? We're to repent. Hey, this is awesome. We got Kelly, our kids director, is in here. I'm so thankful for her. Kelly, come on up. You get to do this. Come on. You get to walk with the sign. So yeah, you just get to walk with the sign. So it'll be a lot nicer. Go ahead. Come on. I don't have a lot of time. Take this and just walk up and down the row. And then just, if you see somebody who sh like is a young parent and they should be serving in the children's ministry and they're not, just my go like this. Joy. Yes, this, this is perfect. Exactly. So this is about getting involved in children's ministry and repenting of the sin of not getting involved and not furthering and advancing our kids. Kelly, slow down. Slow down. They can't read it that fast. Last quote is this. I love this one. Thomas Brooks says, God's corrections are instructions. His lashes are lessons. His scourges are schoolmasters. His chastisement are admonitions. Do you see what we're saying? Embrace the discipline of the Lord. Repent. God hears our cries. Repent. God knows our hearts. Repent. This is the best thing. God forgives us of our sin. He does. He, he forgives us. And so that's what we see next, is, is his forgiveness and his grace. And again, I'll say it, I don't see the whale as a sign of God's judgment. I see it as a provision of his grace, that he rescued him. And so let's take a look at the verses. I want you to see this. He describes the waters closing in. It's, it's poetic language. We're like a fish swinging around in the mouth of the whale, in the stomach, and we're going to watch firsthand what happens to Jonah, repentant. And look what he says. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's looking at it as a jail cell. And so he's looking at this as a jail cell. Did you get any names? Awesome, good. He's looking at it as a jail cell, and he's saying, repent. He's, this is about repent. Look what he says. Yet you brought me my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So personal possession, my God. Personal possession, L-O-R-D, meaning not just my Savior who saved me from my sin, but my Lord who I, is the master of my life. You brought me out of the pit. He's acknowledging that God's the one who's providing his rescue. And so I know about you, but I see in these verses, five and six, this word, repent. I would say he repented right here. Now, I know the word's not in the text. It's nowhere found in the story. But you can't read the story without seeing it everywhere. And this is where Jonah repented. He saw that God saved him. 
and God brought him out of the pit. So repentance, I've defined it a number of times for us. I simply refer to it as a U-turn on the highway of life. It's like I, I'm going in one direction, and it's like a 180, and, and all of a sudden I'm going in the other direction. The Greek word, metanoia, it means to change one's mind. It literally means to agree with God. So I have to agree with God that what I'm doing is wrong. I have to see that this is the wrong direction, that I'm heading towards Tarshish, and, and recognize that God wants me in a different place in Nineveh. And, and so it's a change of mind that results in a change of action. That's repentance. How do you know if somebody repented? That's a good question. How do you know? How do you know? Hmm. Anybody interested in that? For myself? For some other people? For, for the people around me? For my kids? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's run through this list very quickly. This is how you know if somebody repents. These are the five fruits of repentance. This might be the best part of the message for some of us. Because we got to ask ourselves, is this true of me? And is it true of the people around me that I'm trying to help? Godly sorrow over sin. That's the first thing. And so you'll see each of these is grounded in scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces, there it is, a change of mind that results in a change of behavior that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, I'm sorry I got caught, it, it produces death. Second fruit, genuine confession. And so whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But Proverbs 28 at the end of verse 13 says, but whoever confesses and forsakes them, he or she will obtain mercy. Third fruit. Is this helping anyone? Third fruit. Sincere hatred for sin. I, I hate it. It's a strong word because God hates sin. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evil that you have committed. That, that's, if you flip back to Jonah chapter 2, that, that's what we see going on. How about two more? Fourth thing is this. Desire to turn from sin. It, it's like I described it as a 180. It's a change in direction. And, and this is what we need to do. It's not about, I need to to turn from something, the Bible talks about putting on and putting off. I need to put off some things and put on something. And so, yes, we need to repent of our sin. And we need to change our behavior. But we can't just, we have to replace the old behavior with the good things that God wants. And so that's why it says this. Jesus told the story. And it's got to be a desire from the heart. And do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery? He tells this story and he looks at the leaders and he says, he has cast the first stone. He's like, you know, if you've never done anything wrong, he was without judgment, go ahead. You, you, and, and so they wanted to stone her. And so then he looks at the woman who was caught and said to her, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Do you see it? That's repentance. Hey, you've been forgiven. Go, sin no more. But it's a desire to turn. It's got to be in our heart. And lastly, how about a willingness to make amends for your sin? 
And so this is the true judge. Zacchaeus is our perfect example, little guy in the scriptures. And, and what he does is he, he, he recognizes that he is a sinner and he's been, he's been robbing from people. And he says, if I've defrauded anything, anyone, I, rest, I will restore it fourfold. And so the willingness to make amends for your sin. And what becomes difficult is when you get involved in something and you do something and something happens and there's no way to make it right. You, you, you can't amend for that. I mean, there's some things that are haunting, but the willingness, the desire to, to make it right, to have the right conversation, to pay it back. I mean, these right here, these are the fruits of repentance. Hey, why else should I do that? Well, let me give you the next reason. The next reason is that repent because God changes our desires. I mean, he, he changes our hearts and our desires. He knows our hearts and he can change your desire if you sincerely turn to him. And that's what we see happening with Jonah. And, and so it says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer came to you and then into your holy temple. Do you remember at the beginning when I read it, I asked you to underline holy temple? He uses it two times. And the reason I asked you to do that is because that's a picture of God's presence in the Old Testament. So the temple is where God dwelt. And so remember, the disobedience is that he was running from the presence of God three times in chapter one. But then he realized, no, I want to be where God is. And that's the significance of the temple. And then he talks about it. He says, well, what I got to do is I got to get rid of the vain idols. And, and so the vain idols are actually doing what? They're forsaking the steadfast love that God has for me. And so when we repent, yes, we turn from the things that are not good for us to embrace the things that God wants for us. And, and an idol... We've often defined it simply as this. It's an idol is anything that puts God in second place. Anything. So it could be good things. It could be a bad thing. We often say it like this. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it crowds out the best thing. So it could be people. They could be an idol. Your family, your kids. It could be possessions. That thing you want, it's a good thing. I mean, that house and, and that car. And, and, but but it's, it consumes you and it gets in the way of your generosity towards God. It, it could be people, it could be possessions. It, it could be power. and It could be all kinds of things. Your desire for things, again, not necessarily bad things. It could be position. I want that position. And why am I not getting it? And, and that bit, you become consumed. And what Jonah is saying here is he's just simply saying, don't pay regard to vain idols because they forsake the hope you have of the steadfast love of God. It's competing. Remember, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And so who or what is your master? 
So we're going to end the service um, a little differently today. I, I kind of said at the beginning, just to kind of slow down for a moment, and this series is entitled, Dear Lord, it's going to be a series on prayer. If you've been with us uh, for any length of time, you'll, you'll kind of recognize a pattern in August. A lot of times, I know people are gone and they're coming back from vacation and everything, but we usually like to refresh you on either the mission or the vision of where we're heading. And so we spend three or four weeks on a vision or a mission series. But this year, we felt convicted that I did too, that, that we want to pray. We want to see God, we want to see some breakthrough prayers. Why do I want to do this series? Amen. Let's praise him. Breakthrough prayer. And I want to see it in my own life. I mean, selfishly speaking, I want to see it in the life of my family, and I want to see it in you. So we're going to go to prayers to study is good, but more importantly, to pray. And so at the end of the service, we're going to open up the front. We've done it a lot. So this is like something we've done before. We're going to do some different things corporately, and we're going to challenge you individually so that we increase the level of prayer in our personal lives and in our church. Everybody good with that? That's where we're headed for the series. And so that's the vision. We think the mission is more important. It's critical that, that, that we pray. And so I'm going to ask you to come forward, people to come forward, those that are running from something and want to run to something. Look at the text for a moment. Let's go back to those verses, please, from Jonah chapter 2, verses 7 and 9. Look what he says. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Now, don't misunderstand. A lot of times we say, I want to recommit myself to the Lord. And that's not wrong. Please, understand my heart. But nowhere in the scripture does it say that we're to recommit. What it says is that we're to surrender. And so what do you need to surrender to God? And I'm going to ask you, as the worship team plays and as we worship, that, that people, we've already had it in the first service, that it, the stage was filled with people surrendering more of themselves to God. And then I'm going to ask the leaders would go first, and maybe those vested in ministries, they would be first, because not only do they need to surrender, but we want to surrender ourselves and pray for others in our church to do the same. And maybe you've got a loved one going through a specific difficulty or a need or a crisis and that we would just call out to God for them. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the front. And Isaiah said, let's pray like Isaiah did. Isaiah said that I am a man of unclean lips that lives amongst a people of unclean lips. So I'm asking that you would come forth not only confessing that you have unclean lips, but also, do you see, he was praying for others and praying for our church, for God's favor to fall and, and for us to experience more of his presence and his power. So that's where we're headed. But first, I got one more reason. I'm going to call the worship team forward, and now uh, worship team's going to come up and kind of get us ready. And... Um, the last reason to repent is God gives us grace. Is that not the best one? God gives more grace. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you did, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you failed to do today, God forgives and he gives grace. I mean, it's such a wonderful picture. God's grace. 
his goodness. And, and, and look for a moment. Look at, look at uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. I, I believe in a miracle. Let's have a little fun before we get really serious, okay? Look at the text. This is what it looks like in my Bible. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it, do you see that? It, it vomited Jonah out. I mean, that's what the text says. Just, just got it again. Remember, the fish is not a picture of God's judgment. It's a picture of God's grace. Hey, is this the last time Jonah repented? No. It's not. And so interestingly, look at chapter four. I mean, it's like this short little book. I mean, he, didn't he learn his lesson? No, he's like us. Chapter four says, the heading says, Jonah's anger and the Lord's compassion. Here we go again. <laughs> I mean, he gets right with the Lord in the belly of a fish. Don't you think if I was in the belly of a whale, I could just keep it right for a few more days? And, and next thing you know, the Lord's compassion. Why? Because his attitude and he, he just got messed up again. And so I wrote this right in my Bible. Maybe this is a phrase that helps you. Repentance isn't a one-time action, but it's a lifelong activity for us as followers of Christ. It's not a one-time action. This isn't like do this once, all good. No, it's over and over. It's a lifelong daily activity. That's repentance. Let me tell you about a guy in our church, and I met him when I was in Monmouth. He goes to our Monmouth location, and his name is um, Mike. And so I was there not long ago, it was earlier this, uh, it was in late spring after Easter, and he runs up to me, and, and I snapped this picture, it was right before I got up to speak, and he just, he comes up to me, he said, he said Ron, he said, I, I just need to tell you, if it wasn't for this church, and I'm so thankful to High Point, and then he described to me his life, and he was a drug dealer, major drug dealer in Mount, and and somebody reached out to him. He started coming to church. He gave his life to Jesus. Amen? And then what he did was he, he, he got rid of the lifestyle and he got involved in hope groups. I mean, it's, a, it's an unbelievable story. He was baptized on Easter. He literally, I mean, without a surf connect like we do here, he literally joined the worship team and was playing the drums the last few weeks. Isn't that awesome? And he said, he's like, Ron, I, I just need to tell you that without this church, and, and so what did he do? He, was, he made a decision to believe in Jesus, and maybe that's the decision you need to make today. And don't misunderstand, don't get it wrong, that Jonah was looking forward to the Messiah. We look back, Jesus is the Messiah who paid the price to forgive us our sin, and so we surrender ourselves to God that he as we confess our sin, he is faithful to, and true to forgive us our sin. That's what Mike did. And so maybe that's the decision you need to make today. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess him as Savior and Lord. But then Mike got involved, man. And like people in the Monmouth community, I mean, they, they had, like this guy, they're like, what happened to this guy? His family and his, his drug buddies. I mean, they're all like, what happened to this guy? It was unexplainable. That's the deepness of God's grace. That's the power of the life chain. The person that I'm asking you to pray for today as you come up front, maybe it's not that bad, but it is bad. And they're in their own place of abode, 
of death and they have nowhere to turn. Let's just pray. I wish it ended better. Well, it ended great, but it wasn't long enough. I got a phone call um, last weekend, um, last Saturday, from Pastor AJ, who's the pastor at Monmouth and who knows Mike and shared with him. And he said that Mike was found dead in his backyard last Saturday night. And he had a gun and he had a um, flashlight in his hand. And so the details are still trying to, they're trying to figure it out, but he thought that someone from his old life was, was after him. And he had a heart attack. But he's with the Lord. He's, he's with the Lord. And his story was told at his funeral yesterday. And I'm telling you, so many lives are being influenced. And so can I just remind us today, as you come forward and pray, we just don't know how much time we have. We, we don't know when, it's, when our time is up. And so for Mike, I really believe that he was, if he was here today, for Mike, his Tarshish was the old life, a life of drugs, a life of alcohol, a life of unsettling, a life of masking. And, 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 and his Nineveh, it was embracing the fullness of who Jesus is and the grace that abound. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm just even going to ask, I can sense it right now, if you're a leader, just come up forward and pray. And as this song goes, we're just going to ask the Lord to move. And I would sensitively just ask you to, let's turn this. As you notice, I've been talking about the plural, our cries and our hearts. And, and I want to make it singular. So as you come forward and pray, pray for yourself and pray for others that God hears my cry. And Father, I thank you that you know my heart. And God, I'm thankful that you forgive my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross. And I confess my sin to you even in this moment. And Lord, would you help change my desires and for the person, please, that needs to come forward, ask the Lord for his strength for you to change, for your family to change, for others, that, God, you would give me grace. Let's be a praying church that prays for grace to abound as we run to God. Respond as you feel led. I want to pray specifically for that person that is feeling. You know that you need to come up and you're not. I'm just praying and I'm asking you to respond to the Holy Spirit. Some of the best decisions that I've ever made have been in front of a church, on my knees, seeking him. Father, let your spirit move, I pray.